do love your dogs, don't you? I wouldn't mind having one, honestly, but I don't have any time. I don't have sort of not for I don't know. It doesn't I don't feel good. Feels a little phony, phony to me. Welcome to the first episode of The Long Leash. I'm James Jacobson, and today is Election Day here in the United States, November 3rd, 2020. You're probably listening to this sometime after Election Day, and you already know the outcome. Well, at least I hope so. But again, it is 2020, so I guess anything is possible. This year's election has been one of the most contentious in our history, and there has been a record amount of money spent on political advertising. But what does that have to do with dogs? You may be asking, isn't this a dog podcast network show? Uh-huh. Because you see in that flurry of ads, you may have seen one called Dog Lovers for Joe. It's a 30-second video spot that looks back at past U.S. presidents and their connections with their dogs. We see evocative images of Ronald Reagan with Lucky, a Bouvet de Flanders, George H.W. Bush with Millie, a Springer Spaniel, Bill Clinton with Buddy, a Chocolate Lab, George W. Bush with Barney, a Scottish Terrier, and Barack Obama with Bo, a Portuguese Water Dog. Then there is a short clip of President Trump at a rally asking, How would I look walking a dog on the White House lawn? Would that be... How would I look walking a dog on the White House lawn? And shaking his head disapprovingly. The ad points out that Trump is the first president without a dog in the White House in over 100 years. It then cuts to a picture of Joe Biden with his dog, a German shepherd named Champ. The ad closes with the words... Choose your humans wisely. Vote on November 3rd for Biden-Harris. So today, we're going to talk with the creator of that ad campaign, an ad that went viral on social media and created a lot of buzz. Rob Schwartz is the man behind Dog Lovers for Joe. He's also the chief executive officer of TBWA Chiat Day New York, a major advertising agency that is a unit of Omnicom Group, which is the world's second largest advertising agency. Rob's agency is known for building some of the world's most iconic brands like Apple and Gatorade and Taco Bell and Nissan. And dogs sometimes play an important role in those ads, as you'll hear in today's show. Because dogs can sell tacos and they can help sell trucks. But what about presidents? A couple of weeks ago, Rob and I chatted about his Dog Lovers for Joe campaign for a piece that I'm producing about presidential dogs for another podcast that you will hear later this year on DPN. This conversation, however, is so interesting that we wanted to bring it to you now in its entirety. And so it is the first episode in this new podcast series. Rob, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. You have taken dogs to a different height, leveraging both your advertising expertise and um, your feelings about the election. Tell us about that, please. You know, as Ricky Gervais says, we don't deserve dogs. (laughs) <laughs> they, they truly are such noble beasts. You know, the election has kind of hit a nerve that I didn't know I had. I'm not really a political person. I, uh, you know, politics happen and I'm doing my thing in my world. But what's happened over the last four years has awakened something in me and obviously awakened something in the world. 
And I started paying attention. And over the summer, I started to look at the calendar and I thought, wow, I mean, this is happening. And what we don't want to happen might happen. So let's figure out how to make that not happen. And it just so happened that there was someone in my business, in the advertising business, who was putting together a group of agency people to potentially help the Biden campaign. And that's how I first started to get this notion about dogs. And now give me your your dog, what I call your dog bona fides. <laughs> Tell me why you like dogs, your first dog. Kind of get that out of the way first. Well, I'd grown up with dogs my whole life. We had uh, collies at one point. We had a lab mix. She was a uh, half lab, half whippet. Her name was Hope. Um, she had a little white spot on her chest like the Hope Diamond. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we had a Yorkie. And then I didn't have dogs for a long time when I went off to college and got married and had kids. And sometime around, I guess, 10 years ago, my daughter was 13, my son was 11. My wife and I said, boy, we, we kind of need a dog. We were living in Los Angeles and we got a black lab, English lab named Pepper. And she's right beside me. She has passed out. This is a very dull conversation for her. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so now we've got uh, Pepper, and, uh, you know, she's uh, wonderful. And Pepper made the trip from L.A. to New York. She did. And, um, oh, did you hear your name, Pepper? I don't know how. I'm wearing headphones. She did. And uh, we were worried that, uh, you know, she was this California dog. And what was she going to do in the city? But it turns out that she was kind of a city gal because she loves the concrete. I just think the panorama of sense in a city must be mind-boggling to someone with her sensitive nose. And so she's taken to the streets of New York like uh, she's a native. What was her first elevator ride in New York? (laughs) She was fine. You know, there's something interesting, I think, about her temperament. And maybe because she's an older dog, she's a bit of an absorber. (laughs) You know, okay, Strange scent, I'm going to absorb. <laughs> Strange other dog over there, I'm going to absorb. Weird elevator thing, I'm going to absorb. <laughs> she sort of absorbs it and then reacts versus, you know, when she was a puppy, she was very animated and, you know, sort of proactive. I think now she's quite, you know, reactive. So as a close observer of consumer behavior as a, in the ad agency, and as someone who is obviously a dog lover, how did you combine those to to bring together a political ad? Well, the advertising piece, I had a head start. So I'm the CEO of an agency called TBWA Shiat Day. And we've had a long history, especially when I was out in Los Angeles, of working with dogs. So your listeners may recall the Taco Bell Chihuahua. That was a Shiat Day idea. There was a famous campaign for Nissan where the proposition was dogs love trucks. There was a campaign we did for pedigree dog food. The strategy was everything we do is for the love of dogs. And the tagline was dogs rule. And what we learned during that, particularly that pedigree moment, was we transformed them from a dog food company into what we called a dog loving company. And the idea was, if you can show me that you, manufacturer, big brand, love my dog, maybe I'll let you feed my dog. You know, there was a psychology to it. 
And dog food to dog loving sounds like semantics, but if you know anything about dogs, the the bond that you develop with these animals, the love they have for you that you can then share with them is so powerful. So I had a bit of a head start. And as I was observing this campaign, I started to read quite a bit about Joe Biden, and he had this connection with dogs. And when you started to read the story about his adoption of Major and his relationship to his previous German Shepherd, Champ, I thought, "Ah, this is really kind of interesting. And I looked over on the other side, (laughs) and I said, Trump doesn't have a dog. And I think I read somewhere where Ivana, his first wife, said that he had a lot of trouble with her first dog. So something started to develop here. And the more research that uh, I did with a couple other folks, the more we started to see there was something about dogs that could be powerful. Tell me a little bit about what you discovered in terms of Joe Biden's adoption of those two dogs or dogs in general. Well, one of the things I read was very funny. It said... um, Joe Biden was the dog of advertising, and I mean that in the best way. You know, that there was this sense of uh, enthusiasm and loyalty. So there was um, stuff like that about Joe, and uh, there was just wonderful photography. I mean, the imagery alone was powerful, you know, and uh, so much of the selling of a president, the making of a president, is words and pictures. It's imagery. And when I started to see image after image, different dogs and Joe's enthusiasm and connection for the animals, I just knew there was something there. One of the things that this segment is going to deal with is sort of tracking how dogs and presidents have, Mm. we'll go back to like Richard Nixon and checkers (laughs) and how he was able to invoke his dog checkers or even um i don't know if you know this but kennedy got a dog from khrushchev who was the daughter of the dog that flew in space wow i didn't know that great so what do you think putting on your advertising hat and your dog lover hat is it that makes presidents seem more approachable because of a four-legged dog yeah listen i'm (laughs) i'm sure there might be some uh spin meistering of uh hey you know we better uh we better get a dog over here because it's you know it is a marketing trope but i do think though people can see you know beyond that and through that i think with the presidents and this was something that was interesting in our research when we were assembling you know the spot was when you could find certain moments whether it was uh, reagan and lucky and w and barney in particular it would change your view of what you thought about the person, particularly with W. I'd never, you know, everything I kind of knew about George W. Bush, I was kind of like, well, I mean, he seems like, I don't know, the least likely person to be a president. And wasn't just he kind of the guy who was being puppeteered by Dick Cheney? (laughs) I didn't really see him as a full, you know, almost a three-dimensional portrait of the man. And listen, he helped guide the country through some extraordinary times with 9-11, of course. But when I saw this image of he and Barney right out in front of the Washington Monument, okay, so it was slightly staged, but you could see the connection between he and the dog. And that did not seem scripted or fake or proposed in any way. It felt authentic. And that's what we were looking for in our commercial, but I think that's what people are looking to see or what they experience when it works. 
Do you think it's the authenticity projecting from the dog or from the person or a combination of the two? Such a very good question. The dogs have trouble lying. I think those of us who, who've been around uh, you know, these animals, they like who they like and they're leery of who they're leery of. <laughs> and it's not something you can manufacture. So I think it's the dogs. I hadn't thought about this till you asked me this question just now. And so I'm just sort of running the spot in my mind. The dogs telegraph the honesty and the integrity. I agree. I think that's it. I think dogs are just authentic. They don't know how to not be in the moment. And they're awfully good judges of character. Mm. And so I guess my next question would be is, there's this visual of the dog reflecting back the love and adoration that the dog has for the president. Do you think that is something that the people like you and me, dog lovers, get? Or do you think that's something that's broader for people who are not dog lovers? Well, I think the, the dog lovers certainly connect immediately and viscerally. You know, there's no explanation there. What I've seen through some of the data that we've gotten on looking at the spot and reading some of the responses, the tweets, and what have you, there's a cynicism of people who don't believe in the commercial. I haven't seen people who don't like it, but there are some cynics who are like, I mean, is this the big problem that Biden's going to solve, you know, a dog in the White House? And you see kind of a literal response. And that literalness, I don't know, I interpret that as there's a fear. <laughs> there's like a, wait a minute, what am I missing here? I'm insecure about this commercial all of a sudden, and I think I should be getting something, and I'm not getting it, and I get all logical on it. And I think, you know, maybe that's just a roundabout way of saying, I think that even if you're not a dog person, you know something is up with this thing. Do you think that those criticisms are coming from people who are on the other side of the aisle, people who have already decided they're voting Trump and they're looking for an excuse? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't think I've seen even the most cynical of Democrats have not said, wow, did they waste any budget on that thing? Um, but yeah, it's mostly from the red state tweeters, as it were. And I think what was interesting about the making of this idea is that we wanted to talk not just to Democratic dog lovers. That's the obvious target market. What's not so obvious was these red staters. And the logic for us, what we were thinking about was when you look at the high penetration of dog ownership, it's close to 70 percent in America. When you start to look at the red states that have the highest dog ownership, Alabama, Alaska, Wyoming, West Virginia, Idaho, Arkansas, I mean, these are like heartland red Republican states with high dog ownership. And our thinking was, could we be united by fur? Could you set aside your political leanings and passions and remind yourself of, wait a minute, I am also a dog person. I may have gun dogs, and I rely on these gun dogs. So I am not going to mess with the Second Amendment, but I am going to get in touch with the fact that my best friend, my dog, maybe does need a dog person in the White House. That was, I think, one of the more interesting strategic thoughts we had. Have you seen any evidence, anecdotal perhaps, from people who say, you know, this ad has helped sway my vote? Uh, I wish I could say there was a lot. <laughs> we, we've seen some things that, you know, like you'll see a tweet that's kind of like, 
a reluctance, like, oh, they're touching my dog nerve, you know, but I'm still a Trump person. (laughs) So I think you're seeing a little bit of that. If you just move that strategy over slightly to swing states, that's where we think that there can be effect. And when the spot was produced and we were chatting with the Biden folks, they were very enthusiastic about, could we take this and drive it harder through social media in swing state media? They immediately felt that this was the kind of thing that could tip a swing state voter in Biden's favor. Do you feel that this would have been a campaign with like a lot more potential, a lot more ads, you know, earlier on had it been put together? You know, I I think I have to say, first off, the Biden team is doing an excellent job. I mean, when you just think about the last couple of weeks, I mean, these guys have done some magnificent work. This recent Sam Elliott spot's been fantastic. So they're very good. This is not like a political marketing machine that is not firing on all cylinders. They really are. Now, they also have help. They have this other machine called the Lincoln Project. So, you know, I feel like they have, you know, use a car analogy. (laughs) They're driving a Corvette and somebody said, oh, why don't we just plug in this Mustang engine too? You know, so for us to come up with our little, you know, whatever it is, our little AMC Pacer thing here, we're, we're just adding into a very good machine. What we did, and again, initial conversation happened over the summer, late summer. The strategy was have dogs lead Joe into the White House. That was the strategy. And we had a number of interesting ideas to go along with it. So I think that, yeah, maybe more could have been done. We had a, we had a whole funny bit with talking dogs. So with the dogs that have famous voices, so you can imagine, you know, I don't know, a sheepdog with Chris Rock's voice, or you can imagine Larry David doing the voice of, of I don't know, a Doberman, whatever it was. So there was kind of a whole comedy vein off this idea. And there was another idea that they were playing with that we came very close to shooting, but we just simply ran out of time, which we called the Dogumentary. And the Dogumentary was going to be a kind of a sciency look at the relationship between humans and dogs. You know, we were trying to get Cesar Milan to help us out. And then just really talking about that moment, you know, where Trump is basically mocking dog ownership. And what is wrong with this guy that he's not appreciative of dogs? So there's definitely room for more ideas off a good strategy like this. This doesn't work for cats, does it? <laughs> You know, we had a a funny script with Chris Rock was the dream voice. And uh, the script is something like, uh, you know, Joe Biden loves union workers. Joe Biden loves teachers. Joe Biden loves surgeons. You know, Joe Biden, you know, loves business people. Joe Biden loves farmers. Joe Biden loves cats. All right. Nobody's perfect. (laughs) You have a sign in your office that says, choose your humans wisely. Well, choose your humans wisely was the call to action on the film that was written specifically for that film. In the LA office, there's a line that is, if you can't be more human, be more dog. But uh, choose your humans wisely. I'm glad you brought that up. That was written as a call to action. In our process, we had done the cut. We'd found that piece of Trump film. We had done the presidents in succession And uh, one of the other uh, creatives I worked with, Patrick O'Neill, he said, this is great, but it's kind of aching. What do we want people to do? (laughs) We need a line. So I said, you're absolutely right. And I just wrote very quickly, choose your humans wisely. 
And I think what's interesting about the line, and people you know, really love that line, and I'm so glad that they do, is that on the one hand, it comes as a cautionary tale from the dogs. The dogs are telling you, choose your humans wisely. And it's a, you know, from person to person, it's, this is the most important election of our lifetime. So let's be very mindful about who we pick. Now, you're head of a major agency, but I understand that this is obviously a side project. This is your passion project. So we'll talk about two things. Let's first of all talk about you had to basically wear a lot of hats in the process mm. of doing this. You're used to having a big team to like put this together, but I understand you had to do it yourself. Yeah, well, <laughs> it was a side hustle. I mean, uh, I think a lot of folks in the agency would love to work on it, but we're part of a public company. We've got to you know, remain at least agnostic as, as much as possible. So I took it on as a side hustle. You know, personally, I started uh, my advertising career as a creative. I started as a copywriter. And I think as you grow up in advertising, and a lot of folks in the business can you know, corroborate this, you do kind of work in every department. You start to understand strategy. You understand uh, the business. You understand account management. So on this one, I think the only place where I really had to stretch was in my skills at making websites. <laughs> that, that was something I wasn't used to doing. But uh, uh, the software now is quite good. And we, you know, right before the spot launched, Literally within an hour or so, I put together a uh, dogloversforjoe.com just so there was a place where people could go, they could understand uh, what we were up to. And that did two things. It gave people a place to vent. People could you know, speak their minds. And I got quite a bit of email from people on the site. But also, it was the gateway to the rest of what we call the ecosystem. So there's an Instagram page. There's a Twitter page. You've got the spot also running up on YouTube. So the ecosystem needs to be there. And by the way, the last bit is please donate to the, you know, the Joe Biden campaign. And you manage all the social, right? Yeah. So what has that been like for you? That is like waking up very early. I ordinarily wake up early, but maybe even an hour earlier and just seeing what is out there. You know, I like to read what people are saying. And then I like to continue to make stuff. So when you go to the Instagram page, I mean, I think, you know, I've done, I don't know, maybe about 50 or 60 posts, you know, where we're either I'm curating, I'm finding great content or I'm making it. In fact, one of the ones I love is I saw a Dalmatian and the Dalmatian had a, a heart shaped nose. So imagine a Dalmatian dog, you know, she had all her you know, black and white spots and her nose was so perfect. It had a little black heart. So I just, you know, I screen grabbed it and I just wrote, we heart Joe. We and Joe are left and right and the heart in the center. And that was a popular post. So so you're becoming a social media manager uh, <laughs> at this stage. Yeah, <laughs> I'll tell you, if I were going back into the advertising business, I'm not sure I would start as a copywriter. I might. The social media thing is, is fascinating. First of all, the dynamism. So people are talking and they're talking all the time. And uh, going back to, you know, what I'm learning from my dog, because, you know, dogs teach us, I'm absorbing <laughs> I'm not just reacting quickly. I'm really sort of seeing what people are talking about and what is popular, like what people want to share with their friends. It's fascinating. And I think that, you know, heretofore, I think that I would look at social in particular as an executive, very much like hanging a picture in a museum. We spent time on our post. We've read the data. We've been very mindful on the creative. And now we've posted and now we will wait. Whereas when you're running something like this, and I think it's heightened in a political campaign, it's moving. This one's not working. Get the next thing. Where, where's that? The, what is that Rudy Giuliani thing? Bring that over here. Let, you know, 
and it's happening, you know, in the palm of my hand. <laughs> so has it given you an amplification of the characteristics that you would want in a person who would manage social media at your agency? I mean, I think that's a terrific observation. Yeah. I mean, um, the dynamism of it, uh, and it's the best word I can think of, is palpable. And the ability to not just be reactive, but I guess the best analogy I should say, rather than even using reactive, is I think you can play checkers on social media. They say one thing, you say something back. Or you can play chess. They say one thing, and maybe there's three other actions you could take. So I guess to answer your question, I would be looking for chess players. I think chess players probably make great social media managers. That is awesome. I think I'll use that as we hire more people for DPN. I think that's actually a really good... Uh... Us love dogs, chess player, manage social media. Um, <laughs> Perfect. You said that throughout your career, you've done a lot of dog stuff for pet food companies and car companies. Sort of an old trope that, you know, throw a dog in and it'll humanize things. It'll soften things. Why do you suspect that is? Well, I've been around those other campaigns and I admired them. And uh, I think what I was absorbing in those campaigns particularly something like Dogs Love Trucks for Nissan. We love dogs and we love trucks, but maybe it hadn't been put together so uniquely. You know, sure, maybe we'd seen the, you know, the odd Chevy spot with a guy and a dog and a Bob Seger song, have you. But to be so explicit, you know, here's the observation, everybody. Dogs love trucks. So if the dog likes the truck, we think you may like it too. That was different. I think when you go back to that brilliant strategy, go from a dog food company to a dog loving company. Okay, that was dimensional. That's a little bit different. And I think what people pick up on is, you know, you used the word before, when it's authentic. And um, there is something mystical about our connection to dogs. When you go back and you start reading about, you know, this observation that the dog would not survive without man. Man would not survive without the dog. And this is a, whatever, several thousand year old connection. There's something deeper than just, oh, that puppy's cute. Absolutely. That's literally what we're doing at DPN. It's what I have a portfolio of businesses all focused on dog lovers and it's leveraging that. But that's why I'm so fascinated with this application of it in politics. And you start looking back and looking at these presidential dogs and how they've humanized things. I think what you're doing is extraordinary. I guess my final question is your thoughts about a <laughs> the role of business in this campaign. I received an email yesterday from the CEO of a SaaS service we use called Expensify, which is like mm -hmm. you know, sure, expensive. Sure. Yeah. Did you get that email? I know. I just saw something on Business Insider. I didn't read the article, but I saw the headline. I'll send it to you if you want. It's a pretty amazing email to get from the CEO of a company basically you know, saying, you have to vote. This is an existential issue. Mm. And then he basically had some FAQ, like, you know, why is the business doing this? And I think that was my favorite question, which is like, well, I have a fiduciary responsibility to my investors and to the leading the company. And I know that not a lot of expense reports get filed during a civil war mm. and da, 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 you know. So what are your thoughts about that? I know you haven't read the email, but what are your thoughts? You know, this is fascinating because, you know, the two things you weren't supposed to talk about in business were, you know, politics and religion. We're still not talking about religion much, but Trump has made politics his business. And that's why it's in business. And this guy, he just has an uncanny ability 
normally you would say for better or for worse. I think for worse of taking the oxygen out of every room. You can't help but be political because unfortunately, Donald Trump has forced you to be political. And as kind of the heir to the throne, you know, from Jefferson Davis, he has made this a confederacy versus a union issue. I mean, it's shocking, you know. We we are kind of at the precipice of a civil war in a lot of ways. I don't mean to sound so alarmist, but when Trump is withholding funds from democratic cities and democratic states, that is not only treasonous, but it's a confederate act. And given all of that, and you look at the civil war and the businesses that did well during the civil war and the businesses that were crumbled during the civil war, you cannot help but be involved. So if you don't like the fact that your business has suddenly become political, maybe you want to cast your vote for Joe Biden because Joe Biden's a politician who wants to keep politics in the political realm. And Donald Trump is a failed businessman who's making politics his business. Do you think, uh, assuming Joe does take office on January 20th at noon, that we'll start to see a little bit more conventional business wisdom, like a company doesn't come out advocating for a politician? I think we saw the evidence of what a Biden presidency would feel like when you looked at the town halls a couple of days ago. And again, the Trump town hall with Savannah Guthrie was his kind of irrepressible, in-your-face. You know, he demands that you watch, you know, as I'm flipping through both. And as I'm watching the Biden stuff, I'm feeling, all right, this guy's got to take care of. He is going to be over there taking care of the things that need to be taken care of. And it's the care piece that you don't have with Trump. Trump needs you. He needs, he's so desperate to have us need him. And Biden is the opposite. He's like, I am here for you. I'm a servant leader, just like you would be with a dog. You know, we're serving the dogs. I think that's the difference. And I think that's what's going to keep Biden presidency benefiting business, but out of business. Rob Schwartz, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I think this is an awesome thing that you're doing. And I just can't wait for the election to be over or January 20th to happen. <laughs> I'm very happy to be here. I love this dog network. It's really interesting. And I hope that uh, I hope we get the dogs in the White House. We do. Paws crossed. Paws crossed. Thank you for listening to this inaugural episode of The Long Leash. We'd love to hear what you think. This podcast is just one show on our fledgling dog podcast network. DPN is dedicated to helping improve the quality of life for dogs and the people who love them. Please check us out at dogpodcastnetwork.com, and you can subscribe to this show in your favorite podcast app. We're also on Spotify and YouTube. I'd like to thank Rob Schwartz for being our guest today. You can get in touch with him via his website, dogloversforjoe.com. From all of us here at DPN Dog Podcast Network, I'm James Jacobson. Wishing you and your dog a warm aloha. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now, on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the process.
practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.